Welcome along to the very latest Forever Blue podcast. I'm Ian Cheeseman, and, uh, and this, of course, is a podcast dedicated to Manchester City chat. Uh, thanks very much to charleslouis.co.uk, who are the sponsors of the podcast for this season. Really appreciate your support, and if you're looking for some help... And by the way, if you've watched the video that goes on YouTube of last week's sort of extract, if you like, of the podcast, there is actually some visuals that explain what charleslouis.co.uk do, so you can see it if you go to to the YouTube channel and find Forever Blue, but basically the chartered mortgage advisors and they're run by a city fan. So if you want any advice on mortgages or moving house or anything like that, go to Dave, tell him that you've come from the Forever Blue podcast and he'll be extra chuffed to speak to you. <laughs> right, uh, with me today are Paul, who's a regular on the, the podcast. We've Evening. got uh, young Nathan, who's 19? 20. 12, oh, well... Too old for the podcast now, okay. Nathan. Thanks for having me back. <laughs> Nathan, who uh, I first met uh, on the trip over to Shakhtar Donetsk not too long ago, is back for a second stint. And uh, a very special guest today, because we're in an international break, we thought we'd do something a little bit different this week. Roger Reed, whose history with City goes back uh, a long way. Far too long. <laughs> <laughs> and particularly, uh, we're going to talk tonight about the Junior Blues, which was an organisation for those who are who might be new to City supporting, was an organisation which was designed for families and for children, etc., to interact with, with players and to have fun and to become part of the, the Manchester City family. So we'll explore that a little bit more later on. Last week I had a different lineup of guests for the podcast, so I think we can start really by talking about the last game, briefly. We're not going to go on about it too long as we, we looked at it in depth last week. But since we have three new voices here tonight, I'm going to ask you about it. Uh, it's a week on from the defeat against Wolves. Um, obviously, there's another week to go till the next game as we sit here recording this. There was a lot of doom and gloom by some fans anyway, straight after the defeat by Wolves. On the other hand, there were those who were very optimistic that it was just a, a major blip. Sometimes a little bit of time allows people to have a different perception. I don't know whether it will have affected what you thought before and how you feel now, but a week on from the Wolves' defeat, how are you feeling? Um, <clears throat> yeah, I, I, I think initially I came away absolutely distraught by it, but then I watched England on Friday and I'm convinced there was something in the water because <laughs> they played exactly as badly as we did against Wolves. Um so how do you explain what they did? They had everyone, you know, all the pundits saying they had a bad day in the office. So City did then, didn't they? It's as simple as that. We had a bad day in the office. We've got loads of injuries in key places. Uh, Wolves came out, played really well. They had a game plan and they executed it. Um, and it's the kick up the backside. I think there's a few players in that squad on lead. Is that how you th see it then, as a kick up the backside? Because mm. obviously City have fallen a, a gap behind now, which is as the statistics which I pointed out last week suggest, the biggest gap there's ever been in Premier League history, actually, after after eight games. So it is a big gap. But there are some, as I say, are optimistic, say it's just a blip. Others that, uh, that are a bit more pessimistic. You see it as a kick up the backside. Does that mean you expect City to go on a long, long run of wins now? Yeah, I mean, we did it last year, didn't we? We, um, we went on uh, an unbeaten run, didn't we, towards the end after, was it the Newcastle game? Um so there's no reason we can't do that. I'm just a bit concerned about the injuries we've got. But it's football, isn't it? That's, so it, this, these things happen. So even without Laporte, without Sane and 
You know, obviously there's a question mark over Kevin De Bruyne, though we all expect yeah. him to come back after the international break and John Stones. You still think that City, in their present shape, with who's available, are now going to set off on this run and it will just be that kick up the proverbial backside? Um, no, it'll be a kick up the backside, but I don't think we're going to go on this proverbial run. I think we're going to have to rely more now on this. You know, last season we were saying, well, it's all in our hands and it up to that game, if we'd have gone unbeaten all season in the Premier League, we would have won it because obviously we were four points behind or six points, whatever it was. Um now we have to rely on Liverpool having a bad run. Um, at the moment, I don't see where it's coming. They seem to be able to do what United did a few years ago and win ugly. Um, but it's football, and I've been watching it long enough to know that um, you know, as we wouldn't have expected Wolves to beat us in the manner that they did. Um, there's teams out there that probably will will be saying the same where we didn't expect Liverpool to get beaten by them. I mean, United next week. Is it next week? Yeah, next yeah, week. Yeah, that's their first game um, by Liverpool. You know, that'd be a similar Liverpool getting beaten by United at the moment. It'd be the same as City getting beat by Wolves, in my <laughs> eyes. So Yeah, a little bit of a, of a backhanded insult. <laughs> <laughs> Nathan, what do you think? I think I'm a little bit more worried than Paul. Uh, I came, when I came on, it was just after the 8-0, and I, I, I strongly said, oh, I think we'll win the next five or six in a row. And looking back at the Wolves game a week on, I, I'm, I'm probably even more worried because it was an exact mirror image of the Norwich game. Last year when we, when we lost to Palace at home, it was an Andros Townsend. You know, he'll never, he, he struggles, to hit, the, he struggles to hit the target, never mind stick one in from 40 yards away. But the thing is, I don't even... I listened to the podcast last week and Emily was saying how well Wolves played and you just said how well. I don't think they played that well. I thought they played... They did their job, obviously, but they they just defended the penalty box. We kept throwing in these soft, tame, floating balls. These are, these are seasoned pros that have come up from the Championship where they've been playing at Millwall away. They know how to defend against a, a floated ball into the box. It's not it's not difficult for them, that. I heard we, a lot of Wolves fans saying that Willie Bowley is like the best centre-back in the Premier League and should be playing <laughs> for England and all the rest of it. We were we were just floating balls in there. You know, it's not... It, I can understand if you lose and you've been trying out different things and it, sometimes it just doesn't come off and then if Andros Townsend does score a wildy, you say, you know what, it won't our day. But when you are playing such stale football like we were last week, it, it, you, you've only got yourself to blame. And what worried me was the fact that it was the mirror image of Norwich. There was no, there was no progression there. When things were going wrong, there was no change. There was no system. He brought Zinchenko on and he again just, just mirrored um, you know the the balls into the box from the other side. So is that down to injuries or is that down to something else? Uh, well, you lose you lose Leroy Sane, you lose uh, you know, Emirate Laporte, and you are a weaker team. There's there's no question about it. But those players on their on that pitch still train every day in that system. They still listen to the same team talks. I don't believe they were sent out there to lump balls in that box to a five foot nine Sergio Aguero. It's it's not it's not acceptable. And if you keep doing that and you don't have a plan B when teams are sitting in that box, you you are going to struggle. And if you don't score early again, it, it's it's a problem. 
What about you, Roger? I mean, you've uh, you've seen a lot down the years, I'm sure. Where, where do you stand on that Wolves defeat? Well, it, it was so disappointing for us all, wasn't it, as City fans? But I, th- I think the great thing was uh, you can see that City are going to try and uh, keep possession as much as they possibly can and play the way the manager wants them to play and dominate possession, dominate the ball. That reduces the chances for other teams when they're playing against us. The reality is, in the Wolves game, it was a combination of factors. One, Wolves played really well. They had five at the back. The two wide players in the five really restricted the the space for our wide players. They had three working their rocks off in front of the five, and they had the two fastest players ready to break away. So everything went wrong for us. Coming back, I think, to what Paul said earlier, though, I am a little bit worried about the longer term because we have got four, you mentioned them, four key players who played a significant part in our winning trophies last year who are not available at the moment. And the great thing with Pep Guardiola is that when you look at what he's got available, he's got so many options and we're just starting to run out of options with these four players being on long-term injured. I'd also throw into the mix, and I know I touched on this last week, uh, but the fact that um, Raheem Sterling is now playing consistently on the left and his tendency is always to come in. Uh, Mares is now playing regularly on the right, and even when Bernardo Silva plays on the right, he's a, they're both left-footed players who tend to come in. So everything seems to compact and come in from the flanks rather than stretch which is what you get when Raheem Sterling's on the right and Leroy Sane was on the left, which seemed to be Pep's preferred trio last season when they were all fit, Sterling, Aguero and Sane. Now it's two players who are coming in. So taking the personalities out of it, taking even your subjective opinions about those players out of it, just the fact that both of those players are cutting in um, to me, is a, uh, overcrowds that central area. Is, is that something you would agree with, or am I out of order for saying that? Yeah, we scored multiple goals last year where um, the, there would be a runner in, in between the fullback and the centre half, and that was created by. I can picture Sane yeah, doing that in my head yeah, now as you that, say that. That was created by uh, whoever on the on either side stretching the fullback out because when the players are as quality as them, they're not going to leave them out there. Because they'll, you, they'll, if you leave them space, they'll whip one in. And if you don't, then they've got the runner in behind. So when they are cutting in, because they know that Mares wants to go in that space, they'll go run somewhere else because they, they subconsciously don't want to run into his space, etc. I mean, I, I think it's just... Um, <clears throat> I think we, we, we're not over-analysing it because we're analysing it and that's what you do. But, you know, you take four key players out of any football team I in the world... I say five, by the way, because... Sorry, yeah, and yeah, the reason yeah, I'm Mendy. saying that is because... Well, not, I'm not even including Mendy. Yeah. I'm talking about Vincent Company now. Well, I know indeed, he's gone. Yeah, 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 but yeah. if you're talking about last season, yeah, you're yeah. taking another world-class player out who hasn't been replaced. That, that yeah. was going to be my next point, is that the, the key to it as well is... We haven't got a leader on the pitch. I don't know whether we've got a leader in the changing rooms or not. I don't know because I'm not privy to that, but certainly there was no leader on that pitch against Wolves. Um, but you take four key play, five key players out of any team in the world, don't care what league you win, from grassroots to the top, you are going to struggle. You know, imagine Liverpool without Mane, well, the front three... Um, I was going to say Henderson then. <laughs> I don't know why I was going to say Henderson because I wouldn't rate him in any of it. But um, 
you he had take two any, sugars in his tea before, yeah. and it's gone to his you, head. You, you, take, you take five players out of any team, they're going to struggle. So it's all right saying we didn't do this, we didn't do that, and we haven't got cover for this. We're losing five top players out of the team. And I'll chuck another one in for you, right? He's playing in the team, because I would count um, Fernandinho very much as one of those world-class players, mm-hmm. but he's not playing in his position. Nope. And that would so you've lost his effectiveness. I would put him bang straight back in that position and put anybody in the, in the, the back four, rather than having Fernandinho wasted in the back there. You need him in that midfield. You've you've touched a nerve with me, Ian, because during the last seven days since the Wolves game, I've been thinking about the Vincent Company scenario, and I was thinking to myself, do you remember when Chelsea won the won the Champions League? Chelsea had players like Drogba and Terry and these people who were coming to the end of their career. And it started me thinking, I wonder what talks actually took place involving the club and Vincent Company. Were talks actually held to try and convince him to stay another year? Because they must have known David Silva was thinking about finishing. They must have known that this is our last big throw of the dice with our three big hitters, you know, to go for the Champions League. The three big hitters, forgive me, sorry, Aguero, Silva and, and company. And... All of a sudden, we haven't got Vincent Company. What what happened in the summer? Why did he go? I know, I know. His head ruled his heart, or his heart ruled his head, and he went to his his boyhood club. Great, but why was he allowed to go? He should still Interesting be with us. Interesting question, that Roger, because I sat down in the summer with uh, Vincent. <laughs> oh, did you? And went through the whole of last season with him, including well, the man to answer the question. The timeline. You'll of... have to buy the book though. <laughs> And, and you will be interested to, uh, to to know when decisions were made, when things were revealed yeah, to yeah, people. Yeah, that's it, crucial. Mm. And, um, I mean, I don't want to... I mean, the publishers wouldn't like me to sort of suddenly, uh, you know, tell everybody the, the whole content of it. So I'm caught in a bit of an awkward position because sorry, I, want, sorry. I want to answer the question, but I, I don't feel it's right for me to do it no. right now and because uh, I've, I've obviously written the book. But um, let, let's put it this way... Um, regardless of how all that unfolded Mm. City had the whole summer because they all knew that he was going after the cup final we all know that that's not a spoiler spoiler alert Um, we knew he was going then so you had from uh, whatever the date of the cup final was middle of May I think sometime then till the the window shut to do something about it but nothing happened and that to me and now it seems to be more obvious than it, it was perhaps before but I thought about it straight away at the time because uh, I, I think Vincent was such a crucial player I, I just do not understand not bringing a, a centre back in yeah I, I agree with you there because uh, and a certain type of centre back by the way yeah because yeah. You, you can't play forever we can't just keep wheeling him out every year it's he was never fact. wheeled out to be fair <laughs> <laughs> no, he, he, he hobbled out sometimes <laughs> but, uh, but he was yeah he wasn't replaced and it never seemed like they made it made an effort to re- I don't believe we were ever in for Maguire I think that was a, just a, a throw out there for the for the media and United to chase really but it's, it's, it's such a difficult play to replace though you have to think where do you start looking for that and I personally I'd introduce Garcia more often I think Laporte is the man to build our defence round now uh, he's just different gravy for me and then John Stones alongside I'm still I'm not really convinced by him but to not have that extra number in there I think was a big mistake by the way um, 
Uh, obviously, uh, I forgot what I was going to say now. You know, that's one would of those, you, those, those senior seen, moments there. I, I think you're right, though, about Vincent <laughs> Company. You know, we're talking about the four players that we're missing. We are missing Vincent Company, something yeah. rotten. You know, so they are five key players that we're yeah, missing. Yeah, yeah you, you're quite right. Go on, Paul. No, I was just going to say then, I thought you was going to plug your book. I thought you was going to say, there's, there's actually, Everyone wants uh, to buy the yeah, book now. Exactly, that's it. You see, good. Well done. Treble Triumph, <laughs> Vincent Company. I've seen the front cover of it. It's a hardback and it uh, doesn't mention my name on it, but when somewhere inside it will actually admit that I wrote it. That's the book what I wrote, as uh, Ernie Wise would say. Yeah. Uh, no, right, OK, let's, let's move away from that game now. We'll come back and talk about the next game in a bit. But the reason why Roger's here is because you played... Uh, a, a big, a huge part oh, no, in this. Small stream. role, small nah, role. don't be too modest. In the in the the junior blues, right at the the beginning of the whole thing. So first of all, for those who don't know what the junior blues was, because it's no longer exists, certainly anything like it did back then. What was the junior blues? How, do you know how it started? What was your involvement in it? Tell us the story. Well, it, it started in 1972, believe it or not, and and the first ever president was Francis Lee. Uh, who had to give up his presidency when he moved on to, to Derby County, of course. But uh, the idea behind it was really to get fans, young fans, in in the sort of uh, way, in the tradition of identifying with their club and being able to identify with the club. I think we, we've got an era now where players and fans are somewhat removed from each other, which is a great shame. I can remember talking to, to Ken Barnes and Dave Ewing and people like that about the 50s, and they used to get on the bus with the fans to go to the match together, you know, and those days were starting to become restricted even in the 70s. Of course, we had problems of hooliganism and, and vandalism and spectator behaviour was becoming an issue. So the whole idea, the whole concept of getting a new generation of young support into the club who identified with the club, who knew what was behind the big doors at Main Road, who knew what players spoke like, for example. I, I mean, I can remember one of my heroes as a kid was Willie Donachie. I didn't know he spoke with a Scottish accent <laughs> until I spoke to him, you know. And they're the sort of things that, I think as a fan, you want to get to know and, and, and get to feel part of. So the Junior Blues, I got involved very luckily in, in about 75. And um, we used to have meetings at the social club, which was managed then by Roy and Kath Clark. And they, of course, Roy was a hero in, in the city team in the 50s. And I, I worshipped Roy and Kath, actually. But they looked after us fantastically. And we used to have these meetings on a Sunday morning with... with three, four, five hundred junior supporters and the parents and four or five players would come along on a Sunday morning. Yeah, seriously, on a Sunday morning early and they'd answer daft questions about what, what wages did you get last week or, you know, what's the daftest autograph you've ever, what, what, what's the daftest request you've ever had to sign an autograph? And these were players actually downloading, if you like, what they were up to, what they did in their, in their day. And fans just absorbed it like a sponge. They loved it. And, um, and it grew and grew. I mean, it got to the point where the Junior Blues had seven, 8,000 members at one point in the late 70s. And, and we had Jesse, Jesse Ward, God bless her, who did such a fantastic job for so many years as Junior Blues secretary. She, she was working, you know, five days a week, nights and the weekends, you know, to try and keep pace with what was going on. And obviously there was a, I've heard different versions of how the Junior Blues concept came about. Malcolm Allison was given some credit for it. A director called Ian Niven, who I spoke to recently on one of my vlogs, was yeah. given credit for it. 
Who, do you, who came up with the concept well, as I, you know it? I, I think it's safe to say that Malcolm Allison probably thought of the idea of getting the next generation on board. And Peter Swales and Ian Niven, as you rightly say, were key players. Bill Adams was another direct director who, who got involved when I was uh, appointed. Um, and they were all really keen on it. And I think Peter Swales bought into the fact that City were getting gates that were just a little bit lower than United, even with the success we were having in the late 60s and early 70s. And um, the whole idea was to catch up gate-wise, attendance-wise, interest-wise. And the Junior Blues fitted the bill. The City also worked really hard. Bernard Holford, as club secretary, was instrumental in getting players and people out to adult supporters club meetings. And I can remember meetings with Les Saul and Frank Horrocks, who did a great job on the senior supporters club. They were from the supporters club, yeah. And there were branches forming all around the world. Well, of course, the Junior Blues then started trying to replicate this, and they had branches. And I can remember we had, we had, we must have had hundreds of members in Norway at one point. And of course, they all grew up and became adult City fans with children who became City fans. And I still say even now that the success of all the work that City did behind the scenes, both adult and junior supporters wise, was the reason why when we went down to the third tier, Main Road was as full as it was. I still say that was the case. I mean, I know there have been different eras of the Junior Blues. I know at one time there were meetings at Bellevue. Yeah, um, yeah, and uh, then they moved to other venues. Uh, James H. Reeve, who yeah. was a, a radio presenter in this area for a long time, a big fan of his, he hosted a lot of the Junior Blues. That's right. Then there became an, an annual pantomime, yeah, which the yeah. kids performed every year. This with, isn't a joke, players. you know. It wasn't. Yeah, with the oh players. no, they didn't. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and and you know, uh, people like Francis Lee. I've, I've seen pictures of Summerby and Bell and Lee in the pantomime. Yeah, uh, and then there was an era that I was involved. In uh, by then, Liz Douglas had took over running the Junior That's Blues, right. and I spent about ten or fifteen years hosting that. And I yeah. was in the pantomimes as the dame and all the rest of it, <laughs> uh, which I know Show Paul's a pictures. bit. Paul's a bit of a thespian, um, you know, so he'll relate to that. And Nathan, actually, um, you used to go along to some of those Junior Blues meetings, didn't you? I, well, I've been going since I was born, really. Um, my dad went to Junior Blues as a kid, and he kind of brought me into city the way the same way he came into city so he he grew up with his like mate from the road and they they both went to junior blues as kids like he was number 2171 and he was always telling me about the stories about holding the holding the uh, white paper up on the pitch to spell man city and playing for the football team and all mm-hmm. sorts so he took me to main road as a kid took me to the junior blues and it's my first memories of city and it's it 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 sucks you in because you get involved with the players and it's it's different. I I don't think if I was my at that age now at City you wouldn't have the same connection. It's diff- going to a game is one thing, but going to a meeting and interacting with players mm. and chairman uh, etc. It's it's completely different. Can so, you remember meeting players or, yeah. or people like those? Yeah. Does anybody stand out in your well, mind? I've got. Um, I've got a, a picture at home from there was a fancy dress competition. I was dressed as a clown, and so you'd you'd dance you'd dance around in the on the in a circle in Main Road, and uh, you'd, then you'd run off and uh, you'd get a picture with. So I've got a picture with Sylvan Distan, and Brilliant. I'm sat on uh, I think I'm sat on Sunji High's knee uh, with Sylvan yeah, yeah. Distan and yeah. some other kid dressed as a clown and. It's yeah, it's it's just special memories really. You've got got pictures of me with Santa with a blue city Santa and yeah. it's stuff like that. It's 
I don't think I'd be a bigger City fan as I am now if it wasn't for Junior Blues back then. I wasn't a match-going fan at two years old because mm. I, I don't think it's really necessary to be going games and you don't need to. You don't remember it. But it's them little them little like ties you make in your mind when you think of City back when I was little. So and my first memory of uh, the Etihad, is it now, is because of Junior Blues. When it when it moved to uh, City of Manchester Stadium, as it was then, uh, I, Ian was doing the birdie song in his in his bird suit. So uh, <laughs> just cut this bit out. Oh, the okay. <laughs> I'm glad you've come tonight, Nathan. So yeah, that's uh, my first memory of, of of the ground as it is now. Is was me doing the birdie yeah, song? Yeah, yeah. Doing, <laughs> doing the birdie song. I I finished. You doing convinced my, him. Yeah, I, I, I'd finished doing my little waggle, and uh, Ian went off to get changed behind the uh, wherever, and my dad walked me through and uh, Ian was there getting chains out of his bird suit I, I didn't even know there was a man That's in there <laughs> <laughs> that, that, well I thought it was a giant bird to start with but yeah so it was actually so my dad actually asked Ian himself is it alright if we see the pitch and this was in the the east stand as, uh, as I remember so he said yeah okay so Ian actually walked me and my dad with his with his bird suit around his ankles <laughs> out, <laughs> out, out, out onto the east stand and that was the first my first memory of the ground is because of Junior Blues and uh, that and just looking at the pitch and you see these videos now of kids walking out and they're like oh shocked and amazing but when when you do see it for the first time, you don't you don't realise how green the grass is, and and the you get you get used to it now. You you take it for granted and, or you're accustomed to it. But when you do see it for the first time, the lights on the pitch and just the the, the whole vibrance of it and the, the the thousands of blue seats and you can you, as you look out there, you just picture the players on that pitch, you know, scoring and it, it was so yeah, basically. Did you ever go to Junior Blues, Paul? <clears throat> yeah, I did. I used to go away. My grand used to live around the corner from the ground. Um, so, yeah, I used to oh, always go down. It, like Basically, you'd, it'd be like you, your dad would drop you off and just leave you there, and then you could just get on with it in the pantomimes. And But it's like what Nathan was saying there. I mean, the, the, the massive thing for me is um, I was in Tunnel Club last week. I was lucky enough to be in a tunnel club. Did you hear that name drop then? Yeah, oh, yeah. Cha-ching. Place dropped. <laughs> <laughs> but I was in I was in there last week and I, I was fortunate enough to be right at the very front where the, the, the players come through the tunnel. The, be, before the game, the players walk through the tunnel club. Um, and I was at the end and I get to high five all, and it was pathetic. I was like, I was like seven. <laughs> and, and I was all giddy because and there's a video of me and it's like I was dead excited because I've just high five Sergio and uh, yeah. it was really weird and, and I think I think when I was younger you get I, I used to take a ball round before a game and get it signed so I got to, I didn't get to know the players but I spoke to the players so I had a personal sort of interest in them so the kind of the player became from somebody you watched and like a celebrity to not exactly a friend but you could relate to them so if they were having a bad game or anything you didn't want to personally attack them because you kind of felt you knew them you know so I think I think if the players w- could be more personalised to us then we'd, we'd accept that they're human beings and they do make mistakes and I think the whole football thing would be a lot easier I, I don't know it might be you know it might be nonsense that but you've got when you personally know something it's like um um, a, a mate of mine's a boxer when I go watching boxing it's one thing to watch it but when you actually got a mate who's involved in that boxing you feel it more your passion's more and I think if the players 
could know, you know, the fans could know the players a bit better. I think that might help the atmosphere and every. It's a massive knock-on effect. I think if we could meet the players more. You're I, so right, and I think. Sorry, and just very quickly, just my big hero when I was growing up was Colin Bell, and of course I found out at a very young age that Colin never swears, never swore in his life. He, he, he says he, flipping. The worst again. thing he says is flipping <laughs> heck. He says flipping heck. Yeah. So if someone kicked him in a match, he'd say flipping heck. Well, that's I found that incredible, and it has that lasting impression on you. So I don't use swear words as much as maybe other people do purely because if it's good enough for Colin Bell it's good enough for me you know and that's the sort of hero worship that you can take on the role model the role of role models to influence people positively in the in the longer term I'm realistic enough to know that the world has changed not just football but the world yeah. has changed and City obviously have massively changed and when I think back to the Junior Blues and my involvement in it whilst I sometimes feel a little embarrassed by the stories like Nathan's <laughs> just told us I had such fun and the, the people who came along the, the parents and the kids and, and whatnot, we became friends and it was great that they could interact with the players as they did and there are still plenty of players from that era that you see in my vlogs and and you think, you know, how does he know all these players? It's because I went to the Junior Blues because they came along as guests and, and when you spend two or three hours with them and you're, you're playing flip the pancake at, at near some, <laughs> somewhere near uh, Shrove Tuesday or you're dressing up at Halloween with them or what, and they're in the pang you know Sean Wright Phillips was, was the genie of the lamp and the joke was he couldn't reach it because he was so small <laughs> you know when you did all that type of stuff with them then you get a different relationship with them and, and I know that the world has changed I know the demands particularly at City are different now every man and his dog wants to talk to Aguero so getting Aguero to turn up on a Sunday morning at, mm. at 10 o'clock I mean when City got promoted after the Bradford game, I, I might have told this pro, uh, story before but uh, Andy Hinchliffe and David White who were first team players at the time and were big stars were on my hospital radio programme at 9 o'clock yeah, the yeah, following yeah, day yeah, yeah, for yeah. two hours yeah, speaking yeah, to me yeah. and that wouldn't happen now was, however yeah. however, I would love to, to know what you think of this Roger particularly because of your history and, and your obvious passion for what you do or what, certainly what you did back then but I'm, I'm sure still what you do um, Paul has just said that when he was a kid, he lived close by, he went round and got balls signed and had that personal relationship. He's just had that chance to do it again, relive his youth, mm. but I know it, it was slightly different. You probably didn't pay a fortune for that particular trip because I know the inside story of it. However, mm. the fact is to, to have that experience normally now, you have to be certainly fluent in using your money. You know, you've got to have a bit of, of, of cash it isn't there for everybody. So it's gone away from the ordinary man and mm. the, or woman. And there'll be a lot of people listening to this who say, you know, yeah, bring it back. What do you think now about, about all this? I mean, you obviously were so passionate about yeah, how yeah. it was. Yeah. Should it come back? Could it come back? Well, uh, the, yeah, this is a $64,000 question. I think, uh, first and foremost, the Junior Blues had a great history. It was there at City for over 30 years. There were probably between eighty and 100,000 <coughs> young City supporters who went through the Junior Blues during that 30, 35-year 30, period, whatever it was. Uh, and then City made a big mistake. They introduced Live for City, which had no identity, nothing that fans related to. And of course, the current regime probably don't know enough about the history of the Junior Blues to be able to say whether they would like it to come back or not. 
the net effect of the junior blues would still be the same if it was going today so i'm i'm in favor of bringing it back the one thing i do know however is that city are looking at branding and they're looking at the word citizens now i mean it's interesting because i would put out there you know how many city fans like me see themselves as city fans and how many see themselves as citizens because forgive me I've never in my life seen myself as a citizen, but I have seen myself as a city supporter or a city fan. And I've seen children and my own children as junior blues, you know, and that identity with the club is is what City need. And what what clubs still still have junior supporters clubs now on the basis that they will try and get those fans to identify with the club and stay loyal to the club. Let me give you, for instance, if a fan becomes a city supporter at the age of seven and buys a season ticket for the rest of his life, try and work out what the economics of that would be. And that's one young supporter at the age of seven becoming a fan for life. The economics of that are massive income for the football club. And City, of course, are now... The between the devil and the deep blue sea about building the new, the, well, the extension to the stand behind the goal again, like they did with with the other one. And if that gets built, the next challenge is to fill it. And that's where a junior blues type organisation would be brilliant. You got it. You're right, though, what you said before, Ian, that you hit the nail on the head, really. It's a different era. It's a different world. And it certainly is for players. I mean, some of the players that we had in the junior blues, we had Dennis Stewart, who was president, Joe Corrigan, who was absolutely brilliant as president. And they would give up the Sundays regularly. They would, they would come into the office and talk to Jesse, come in and talk to me. Harry Godwin was chief scout, but he used to give up every weekend for the junior blues. And we just had that sort of interaction from people, that willingness of people to give up the time to come in and get him Involved. It's a numbers game though, isn't it? I mean, t- towards the end of my time at the Junior Blues, um, I can remember the discussions being along the lines of, well, we can do the big events where maybe a thousand people will come along and we'll have a marquee in the car park at the Etihad Stadium um, because then we can maybe justify the appearance of a player for 10 minutes on stage mm-hmm. somewhere in the three-hour show and make the rest of it not player-orientated. So they come in, whiz in, stand there for 10 minutes, whiz off out the back door and are gone again so it's not like it was in those days when everybody could get an autograph or meet the players I know they didn't have selfies so much back then but you know that that type of personal contact but even then it became is a thousand really worth it and 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 I can remember conversations with people I'm certainly not going to name anybody but where they would say listen if we have eight lots of Aguero time slots in a month in his contract why would we waste one on a an appearance on a Sunday morning with 500 families and kids when we can put him on Chinese television where, or, or, or Indian television where there are maybe a billion viewers we'd rather use that time that we have of him to sell our club to the world mm. rather than a small portion yeah, yeah. of families yeah. but what you're saying is that and, and, and we're talking here about match going fans rather than the ones who watch on TV and those, those are the ones that we need to fill the stadium yeah. that actually that investment even in small numbers reaps a much bigger reward in long term than it immediately looks when you, you just see it first hand Absolutely. I mean, <clears throat> we talk a lot about atmosphere and stuff like that at the games <clears throat> excuse me um, there's, there's, there's a couple of things that come from it is, is that, that if you're brought up being a city van on the terraces, knowing the players and an interaction like that, 
you're going to get behind the team more. And you're like myself. I'll I'll sing if we're getting beat 4-0. You know, I'll try and motivate the players. A lot of fans coming through now, it's sort of like, well, go on, I've paid all this money, entertain me. You know, it's a chicken and an egg. Sometimes the players need a bit of a bit of a, a lift. You don't you, you don't get that now with the sort of fans that are coming through. Do you think that would be different then? I I you know what we were just saying you were just saying before about um, you don't know it's a different world we're in. Why is it a different world? It's it, it's football. It's ninety minutes on the pitch. They train during the week. The the only difference is they paid a lot of money now. Well, that is so the why big is, difference. Yeah, but why it? is that any different? Why, if you're paid a lot of money, surely then let's let's be different at City. Let's turn around and say, right, well, you're paid a lot of money. There's a lot of fans out there. They do it when they go to America and stuff like that. So there's a lot of fans out there. This bread and butter stuff that we need to look after our own regular customers. Let's do stuff. Is it is it the players? I mean, I mean, years ago, can you? You know, I remember the, the the stuff. You know, sort of like Joe Corrigan, the size of him, dressed up as a woman and things like that. They were prepared to laugh let at them, themselves. I yeah, suppose. they were yeah. prepared to let themselves go. Now you can imagine it's all that about picture image. all over social media. Can't oh yeah, you? yeah, yeah, might, yeah. It'd be, it'd be, yeah. it'd be, you know, vilified for it. So I think some of the fans are the same. That's that's the change for me. Is that we're not our generation. We're prepared to have a laugh at ourselves. Um, now it's as though it's not cool to do that. Come on, let's hear from Nathan. You are a young fan. Can you laugh at yourself, Nathan? And and, and the serious question is: Is Paul right? Do you think you, you're speaking on behalf, you know, of a whole generation here that that your generation are different than than his generation? Oh, it's, a, it's a big question. Uh, no, I, most of the people I know that go city just are the same as Paul, really. Just behind the team all the time, you know, wind, rain, snow, whatever. They're, they're there. It's um, it's it's the I don't know how to, how to explain it. Well, you, you've already said that it's made you different than you believe you would have been had you not gone to the Junior Blues. But you're, you're perhaps the tail end of that generation, aren't you? That went to the Junior Blues. Yeah, but if I think. Like you were saying about the players getting paid more money, uh, they're world celebrities now. It, I think if you had an event where Aguero turned up, you you won't you don't I don't think you'd have the same connection. Is is almost like um, like I don't I really don't know how to explain it, but he'd be in the room and he'd be signing autographs and taking pictures. But I don't think there'd be that the same connection there was. I like I was. Like I say, I was in my fancy dress and sat on sunji eyes and they having a laugh. And Don't it's, forget Ian with I, his trousers round his ankles. I'll try my best to forget that bit. There's going to be a lot of editing in this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but I just... It, it's a different kind of, um, like, relationship with them. Like, Aguero, he's, he's, such a, he's such a figure around the world now that I think he'd be too... Polished and. Can I just sorry interrupt yeah. you? There was a footage. Um, there's footage this week of Aguero. He must have been in Argentina um, with a band. I don't know if anybody's seen it or not. Mm. So that's a hint that actual the players themselves might want to get involved in it. He was happy to do that, and you know he wasn't very good at singing. It wasn't like he was an expert at singing. So he was letting his hair down a little bit. Do you think it's because of social media that? 
they don't want to be made to look stupid. Or is there an assumption from the from the PR people, either within the club or agents or anybody like that, that we can't ask our players to do this or it's the wrong, wrong image for our club? I don't know the answer to that. I'm not pretending I know the answer to it, but it makes me wonder whether that is something. And obviously, think, yeah, in your think, era, the players you were dealing with, Roger, yeah, didn't yeah. have that, did no, they? No, absolutely. I mean, the, the first thing you've got to do to get the players' support is they've got to be comfortable in the environment. And of course, as Nathan rightly says, that our players are from all around the world and it's a different environment. I think Sergio, going back to Argentina, yeah, he is going to be more comfortable in that environment with the greatest respect to, to Manchester and what Manchester's got to offer. Um, going back to our day, I mean, we had Gary Owen and, and Peter Barnes join the Junior Blues. You know, and, and they were completely comfortable with that and they went to meetings as well. We had um, Willie Donachie, who I've mentioned, Jimmy Conway. They would bring their children to the meetings and sit them on the stage with them while was, they were answering I'm, questions. I was actually imagining and, David Silver bringing his little yeah, boy yeah, along. you could see it would him be with, lovely, with wouldn't Matteo, it? couldn't you, you know, on the, on the stage, which is fantastic. But it's a different world. You're absolutely right. I mean... I, <laughs> You'll laugh, but I'm, I was privileged and honoured to be on that iconic photograph of all the directors and all the players and all the staff at City outside the main gates at Main Road. In, Everybody must have seen that. If you haven't Googled it. Yeah, it's yeah, exactly 1978. And do you know how many staff there were? 36. Do you know how many staff there are at City now? Yeah. I don't tell you. Sounds you know, I mean, it's, it's a significantly... Give us a number, Roger. Yeah, well, it's a lot more than 36. <laughs> you can certainly add a note, I think. <laughs> but is that with Tony Buck's really smart pants? That's it. He's got yeah. his golfing, golfing yeah, outfit on. Yeah. Green say, blazer and check trousers. You say 36 and you can add a zero. I think you can ask a couple of zeros. You're probably right. You? You're probably right. Yeah, but that, that is how it's the, a different world. It's a totally different world. That is how it? the world has changed. It's a shame we can't, as, as a football club, be different and change that, you know, like the, the, the attitude. You know, I get the players. It'd be, it'd be right. great to be able to just be different and say, yeah, you know what, um, you know, we could even... We, we was discussing this the other week in the, in the Tunnel Club and dropping a, another name there, but we're in the Tunnel Club and we were discussing it and we're saying that, because I'm a chairman of a supporters club, and the only way that I could see any player of any any, you know, team at the moment, current player coming to us is if we, we banned mobile phones, you weren't allowed to take pictures, um, and, and basically what's in the room stays in the room. Because I think that's half the battle, is that they're scared of getting out there, somebody getting a sound bite, somebody, you know, taking a picture of them, you know, with their arm round some girl at the bar getting a selfie, and the next thing it's in the press has been. So I, I can kind of, what I said before, I can understand that the world's changed, Yeah, but... Social media, I think, has been the nail in the coffin. I think the big thing, though, as well, that we've got to remember is that every six-year-old, every seven-year-old is still looking for the same experiences that those young junior blues were looking for 50 years ago. You know, they want that interaction with players. They want to go to a game. They want to have that added value and that identity with the club so that the bond is there forever. 50-year-olds do. So what I if would the club could acknowledge that, mm. you know, you never know, JB's could come back. Well, one thing I would say, because you should look at this always from both sides, is that on a match day, you often, if you're anywhere near the, the entrance of the Colin Bell stand, you will hear the presenters from City Square asking kids to, I'm not sure about the screaming and shouting as, as the way that you auditioned <laughs> for it, but anyway kids being picked out of the crowd and then standing not in the tunnel club but in that area just in front of the tunnel club so they can high five the players which I think is a brilliant idea Um, they also if you go into the family stand end of the ground you'll see the murals that are up there 
Uh, Moonchester and Moonbeam appear there at certain stages. They even have live singers in that area. So I think that's another big attempt to do the right thing. So they do try to do those things. And obviously, the club, if they were here now, would probably... And I don't, I don't... Despite what people think, I don't work for the club, right? I do a, I do a vlog which, which appears on the club website for which I get a fee, but I don't work for the club. So I'm not saying this because somebody's told me to say it. I'm saying it's just because it's my observation. But I would also say, even though it's not necessarily what I want to watch, but let's see... This is this is a bit unfair to always chuck everything at Nathan because he's the young member of the the, but the club website are ob- obviously pay a lot of attention to doing fun bits with players where they're playing games with each other on video um, and and it's not really of any interest to me but maybe that's because I'm a middle aged man and, and and it's not aimed at me but they do do that and you could argue that that is their attempt to recreate the Junior Blues online to a bigger audience, that the time is better spent having Mendy and Bernardo Silva, who obviously are big mates, playing a game of, I don't know, top trumps or something. You know, I don't don't watch these videos, but you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Doing this type of silly stuff uh, so that the young kids will watch it and relate to them, and it goes beyond that facade. they do do that. Does it work, Nathan? Do, do, is it? Is, do you watch that sort of stuff? Is it aimed at you? I, I think I'm a little bit too old, right? Just, just to like the the messing about. Kind you think of thing. it would then if you were younger? Um, I think it would grab an interest with the player because I think they'd see. I think they'd go, oh, I like I like his character because when I was little, I used to gravitate towards players based on their personality more than the way they played because they didn't didn't play very well back then. But <laughs> like, but it's if you saw if you saw De Bruyne talking about uh, I watched one today so uh, it was De Bruyne talking about FIFA stats for example so a little kid would see that and he'd he'd then go and maybe buy De Bruyne's card on FIFA and he'd play with him and he'd probably create a relationship with De Bruyne through the video game and then maybe because he liked using him on FIFA that might then make him a City fan in that respect. So I think because things have changed, there's different ways people become City fans. I pro- I wouldn't have known about City without my dad taking me to Junior Blues. These kids wouldn't know about City if they didn't uh, see it on their iPads and their iPhones, etc. But um, if you go back to like the uh, City at, at home, they, they obviously I used to sit in the family stand and... The, the the little uh, match attack cards you do, or you can stand against a a, a Carlos Tevez um, cutout. Kids love that. that is, it's brilliant because you can take a picture. You go, oh look, I got a picture of Carlos Tevez. You didn't actually get a picture of Carlos Tevez, but you're eight years old. You, you don't. It doesn't have to be the 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 greatest thing in the world. It's that. It's that little snippet of fun. So the stadium tours that they're doing at the moment with the virtual. Uh, Pep Guardiola, where it looks like you're right next to him, oh, would it, be something kids oh, would love. Yeah, if I was that age now, I, it would be the first thing I take to show and tell at school, because it's you know look look at this. Um, but I it, but at home games, I do think they try and push the kids thing too much everywhere though, because I I, I used to go to City Square and I used to feel like if you stood around and looked at everyone there, it's probably ten percent is the actual audience that they're they're trying to appeal to yeah. the content I, 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 so I don't go anymore because I don't want to stand there and watch well he's not there anymore but Mike McLean pull some funny faces I'd rather 
a good local band on and you know maybe some match snippets or something but to stay in the pub. Yeah, so I think I think they try and force it a bit much, and when you force it, it becomes a bit fake. I think if if they find a natural connection between like a trend or something with kids, go with that. That's what will uh, bring people in. You, if you start if you start forcing kids to watch someone mess about on a stage, I don't think that really works because it's still their parents that have got to take them to it in the first place. So I think if you've got something for the, the adult to look at, then if you throw a bit for the kid in, there's a bit of both. Well, Roger, I mean, we've talked about this for quite a while now, and I really, really appreciate you coming down. Pleasure. So, yeah, and in a minute, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about the Palace game to finish off this week's podcast. But just to, to finish this off, because I think it'd be nice if you finished it off, really, by... From your years of experience and everything you've gone through, mm. what would you see as the future of the way of doing it? You know, how, where would you go? Well, if you th- were still in that position yeah, right yeah. now, working at the club, what would you do? Well, I, I think we've got to accept it's a very different world. But as I say, I, I, I think children coming into the, the, the world now, my grandson has just gone through the same painful period of being a seven-year-old and suddenly realizing that football is your world and that was exactly what happened to me when I was seven and um, kids are going to still have that and if they can get that identity and that bond with the football club at a very early stage they then become fans for life and if you become a fan for life one there's income for the football club two there's the brand three there's the support over the years you know etc etc but how would you do it now i would i would look at reinventing the junior blues to fit with the modern era which is allowing for social media you've mentioned a number of things that city do really well on social media but they should be the icing on the cake you should the cake should be a membership scheme that kids can enroll in and parents can actually encourage so i mean one of the great things when i was at the junior blues and jesse will confirm this for you we used to get phone calls from hospitals from parents who were in the maternity ward and they'd say you know can we if if I enrol my baby now, will they be the youngest junior blue? And we'd go, yeah, not without question. Why? Well, it's just that she's not given birth yet, so we don't know whether it's a boy or a girl, and I don't know the name yet. Can you hang on? You know, and you think, yeah, that was great. But getting that identity, getting the parents to actually assume the identity of their children with the football club was fantastic. There's got to be a way in which we can do it in the modern world. I know there's all the child protection stuff out there, and I know that City are sensitive after what happened you know 40 50 years ago i know all of that but there's got to be a way in which we can galvanize this and make it happen and actually it's in the club's best interest because the quicker they build that extension to the stand and the quicker they start filling it the more we're going to start looking like a real serious club that's going to overtake these other clubs who are averaging 40 50 000 themselves you know the club don't necessarily shout about this as much as they should do but on a match day particularly for the afternoon games they actually open part of the academy for families to go down and have activities there. And I wish I could give it a bit of publicity on the vlogs that I do, mm. but because of the nature of child protection, uh, the club, uh, and, and we're saying, in a way, are correct, correctly doing this because um, it's frustrating for me. I'd love to go down there and film it and show the world mm. what City are doing. Mm. But everybody's so cautious, and I, and I understand the reason for the caution, but sometimes does it even go too far that you, you now... 
you know, can't show something like that because you're frightened of some criticism or mm. or, or, or whatever misuse of this material. Uh, but but it is there. It, it does is, happen. Yeah, and absolutely. kids, I actually bumped into a parent going to this function at the last home game and said, "Why do you never put any of this on the vlog? Why don't you come down?" And I go, "I'd love to. I'd love to. I've asked the club to let yeah, me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, but they won't let <clears throat> let me. You know. Don't don't you think though that we 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 overcomplicate things in life at the moment? You know. The Junior Blues was simple, wasn't it? Yeah. It was just a simple that was thing. Why it, it was, was so no fancy involvement. Yeah. It was just a simple thing. Let kids play. You buy, you can I buy my grandkids, you know, things for Christmas. They'll sit and play in the box. <laughs> it's a fact, You're and right. that's what You're kids right. do. I yeah, bought yeah. Paul a box last year for Christmas. He He's never stopped playing with it. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know, I know we, we've, we've not really mentioned it as well, but there's one th other thing that I must mention that City do really well, and that is the fact that they're promoting the women's game yeah, true. and actually the product, City as a product, to girls and women. I mean, you know, I'm older than all of you in this room at the moment, and I can I remember know, I my first game was the early 1960s. Girls and women weren't at the match when I went in the early 60s. It wasn't their place. They didn't even want to go. You know, it was boys, dads, granddads. That was who were going to games. Now, look at the average makeup at a match. You've got so many girls and women that want to go. And they are like I was as a seven-year-old boy at six <coughs> and seven. They want role models. They want heroes. They want them connected with City and they want that identity. And City are starting to look at that and it's starting to take off. So, you know, let's not be totally critical. It's, uh, it, it's positive as well for the club. Well, we'll move on from that conversation with Roger. Uh, you know, gr thanks for coming, and, and it's been a, hopefully an insight for those who don't know, but if, even for those who do know about it, um, I, I think that's been a, a quite an interesting debate. And if you've heard any of that and you either agree with it, dis disagree with it, or you have some opinion that you'd like to express, don't hesitate to contact me or the contributors on social media or indeed tell the club what you think because they always want impact. And, and I think people from the club now and again listen to the podcast I hope they do and so maybe they've been stimulated by it as well so when we move on now to the next matches when you've led it on onto it perfectly Roger City's women play Atletico Madrid on Wednesday night I'm going down to that one it's a Champions League I think it's last 16 is it first leg um, it's certainly the, the knockout phase of the Champions League so there is a big game for the women and then of course the men return to action at Crystal Palace now at the beginning of the podcast we talked about your state of mind following the Wolves game and it suppose it's all connected, really. So Crystal Palace, Wilfred Zaha, such a dangerous player who, frankly, I wouldn't mind being at City, you know. I think he'd, he'd fit. Oh, no, thanks. You wouldn't want him? Nah, not for me. He's a bit... You can do it. It's easy doing it in a in a team where the pressure's not on every week. You can you can have a two-week layoff period where you're not in 100%, but he's, I, just, I just don't fancy him. I think he's a bit of a match-of-the-day player. Looks good when you see it. When you see him do the, his turns and his flicks, but over a ninety-minute game, I don't, I don't think he'd have any impact here. All right. Well, there's ten other players playing as well for Crystal Palace, <laughs> <laughs> and, and 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 their ground. Uh, as a fan who does go home and away and has done for all my lifetime, I know that going to Sellers Park is is one of the more genuinely intimidating Premier League grounds to go to. It still feels to me. I know this sounds a bit classist, but I'm going to say it anyway. A working class ground with work class fans it's not an ultra modern stadium you, you get the feeling that the people behind that goal who uh, who so 
sort of nicked our Guardiola song, or is it the other way around? But anyway, glad all over and all that. You know that they are a throwback to to a, a previous era. Love their fans and that that connection that they have with their club. So I don't think going to Palace is a gimme game. No, and when I do the vlog before the game at Crystal Palace, if people now they can say what they want because I don't censor people. But if I go up to somebody and I go, right, what do you think the score's going? Well, I don't actually usually ask them the score, but I do you think City are going to go on today? And I get ah oh, five nil today, easy one. I, I, I'm just going to be pulling what little bit of hair I've got left <laughs> out because I don't know anybody can predict that. Now it might happen. Anything can happen in football, but you surely can't, the three of you, be thinking about the Crystal Palace game and thinking, oh yeah, bounce back 5-0, or, or am I wrong? No, no you, you're right. <laughs> oh, at, least, at least Nathan agrees with me on that. Um, no, I mean, I've, for the first time in the last probably two seasons, I've not been confident. I'm not confident in what's coming. When we, when we, we got beat, um, Norwich... And we thought we came back, didn't we, from that? Um, I was confident of that happening. But then when we've been beaten by Wolves, I think I've, I, I personally have had the stuffing knocked out of me a bit. So I'm not that confident. I think, you know, again, even with a weakened team, we should have enough to do it. But it's, it's going to be a tough one, this. I'm not going to ask you for t- team selections because we did a bit of that last week. So I'm not going to ask you who lines up, where would you play, whoever. But w- what do you think about the pa- whatever the formation, whatever you've got in your mind, Nathan, are you confident City are going to bounce back at Palace? I just hope we start fast. You know, Move the ball quickly, get him in the channels, get him on the back foot and get an early goal. Because teams generally against us they have the same game plan even after a goal because then all it takes them to nick one they can can get a point that's that's a bonus against us but if we need to just be relentless against them we need to if it's going to sound bizarre but i think we need to look at liverpool a little bit and see how they play they go out there and they they start in fifth gear and then they they roll it back once the game's the game's done. The way I see us play under Guardiola, I think we start in first and then we see if we need second. And then if we need if we and then if we if we've won the game in second, we'll go back to first and we just slowly start cranking it up. And I think Norwich and Wolves was a bit of a panic because we got to third and we still weren't we still weren't winning. And and then it starts. Oh no, no! And this is where this like <coughs> lump in the box because oh, it's not working. It's not working. So I think that's why we need to start quick. I'd you know I'd like you say I'd play the wingers wide. It's it's good. It's a small pitch. Make it as big as possible and just attack them. You know whoever whoever we play is good enough to beat Palace in our squad. Otherwise they don't play for us. But we've just got to get out there and you know silence the crowd like you say and you know show our own support. What do you think, Roger? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I thought the comparison about going up in and down in gears is a great shout, Nathan, actually, yeah. I, I just, my only hope for, for the weekend is that Townsend doesn't score another one like that because it was such a fluke, on it? It's once in a million years that he's going to score a goal like that. We've got this um, on loop if it happens again. <laughs> <laughs> that was once in a million years. That was once in a million years. <laughs> I just think we're struggling with the options, as I say, with, with, with the, so many players missing. I know we've signed Rodrigo, who obviously is fantastic and he's he's become my favourite player already this season I think he's absolutely sensational um, but uh, you know I, I just yeah I think every game's going to be a battle until we get some of these players back from injury I will stick one question in which we didn't cover so much last week which is people shouting out for City lacked energy last week 
now's the time to bring Phil Folden in to start. Where do you stand on that? Uh, it's a bit of a it's a bit it's a bit of like a, a Sam Allardyce kind of energy or you know like old old school kind of thing. The, all the players out there, I don't I don't buy this. Don't put any effort in or are lively. I think I think we kind of see when we're watching things what we want to see kind of thing. Uh, Phil Foden, great talent. Don't get me wrong, but I don't think after a performance like Wolves and already being miles behind, is a time to throw him in right now. You've got players in that in that team that have won World Cups, uh, have won Bundesligas, they've won Premier back to back Premier Leagues. They it's it's that knowledge of going right. We need to step on here. In going out there, his, his rawness. Don't get me wrong; it works sometimes. You throw a young player in, then the the great. But I think you also need to protect a young player. If you throw him in uh, into Palace and he gets kicked off the place, what's he going to do for his confidence? Is he going to think, "Oh, that's it, mate. That's it. I, I've had my chance. I've blown it." He didn't. Uh, he played against Leicester last year, and I thought he was he was absolutely missing in that game. But then he played against Spurs and he scores. So it's really hit or miss, really. Um. <laughs> Everyone was sort of saying, oh, yeah, you bring Phil Foden on, he's only been on the pitch for a couple of minutes and he scored. Well, all the work was done by somebody else and the, the Zagreb team were absolutely shattered. So I think I could have probably scored that goal. No disrespect to Phil Foden. Um, if, 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 it, if, he, if he'd have been on all through the game last week, he wouldn't have influenced that game, I don't think, in the slightest. Um, and then it had come off the pitch... Lacking confidence because he's been in a team that's just been beaten by Wolves. It could have had a psychological effect on him. Then all of a sudden you get these players, these fans who were saying, oh, I should bring him in. Then the other ones will start saying, oh, see, brought him in too soon. He's not all this and that. I, you know, I'm not having to go at Phil Foden here, but you know, bringing young players in like that at the moment could be an amazing thing but it could also be an absolute disaster for their careers. So that's... Oh, go on, Roger. Well, no, I, I think you're right. Crystal Palace Sellers Park is a very intimidating place to go and it's maybe not the place to, to play one or two kids, but uh, but maybe the next home game is one to think about whether Phil Foden can come in. If we're serious about Phil Foden being the natural successor for, for David Silva, then at some point we've got to, we've got to back our judgment and give him a go. Um, if it doesn't work, bring him off you know you can bring on one of the more seasoned players if that's what you want to do uh, but Palace may not be the one Palace away may not be the game to, to try them well thanks very much to Roger Reid who's been our special guest we'll, we'll get you back thanks Roger, ever so much as, as long as you're happy it, yeah. to yeah. Brilliant. Even, even if it's not to talk about the Junior Blues and just talk <laughs> about City because obviously you've watched City as much as if not more than all of us so thanks very much for your company Pleasure. tonight thanks to Paul and to Nathan for, for coming down for Will do, for doing the filming and of course to Tameside Radio where I'm a regular presenter five nights a week between eight and nine I play uh, 80s music the 80s hour uh, and also on a Saturday between one and two I have a chat show last week it was Jason Manford and some of the cast of Curtains that I was interviewing um, and who knows who it'll be next week so uh, if you get a chance to listen to Tameside Radio because that's where we are in their facilities today uh, then you can hear me on there thanks very much to, to everybody as I say for getting involved but particularly to charleslouis.co.uk for being the podcast sponsors they're Chartered Mortgage Advisors 
a reminder on our uh, Forever Blue uh, vlogging channel on YouTube. If you go to the clip, uh, and it'll be the same when we put the clip of the video of this podcast up, you will see that Will has done a little charter which explains visually a little bit more about what charleslouis.co.uk do, uh, which is easier to see sometimes than it is to hear from me. But they're very good, and they're run by a blue, and that's all you need to know, really. <laughs> so thanks very much for your company, and we'll do it all again next week. 